and welcome to another Dairy Dialogue podcast from Dairy Reporter, the daily global news site dedicated to the dairy industry. I'm Jim Cornell, editor of Dairy Reporter, and I'm recording this from a hotel in Frankfurt, Germany, and hoping there are no gremlins in the production process, as it's not quite the routine I'm used to for putting this together. And I'm also wondering why cables and headphones can get so tangled. The reason for being in Frankfurt as November draws to a close is the HIE, or Health Ingredients Europe event, and it's been a very good one. I've done around a dozen interviews, so you should see those trickling out onto the site in the coming weeks. And I do say should, because they do take some time to process, and it is one of the busiest times of the year, as is obvious from walking around Frankfurt, as Germany really embraces the Christmas season. There's a fabulous Christmas market here where it's virtually impossible to not spend money and equally impossible to go five yards or meters without bumping into someone taking a photo of the lights or the Christmas tree or the decorations or the brass band playing Christmas carols on a roof. So all in all, a great event, nothing unusual happening other than the usual being asked for directions a few times and almost knocking over part of a stand at the event. So a pretty quiet one for me. Although, with a couple of days still to go in the city, anything could still happen. Next week, we'll feature one or two of the interviews from HIE, where the buzzword seems to have been sports nutrition. Actually, that's two buzzwords. We've talked to, among others, Arla Food Ingredients, Glanbia, Carberry, Beneo, Kerry, NZMP, and some smaller companies as well from China, South Korea, and Canada. While we didn't talk to them at the show, this week's Dairy Dialogue features an in-depth interview with Friesland Campina Kiewit's Fanny Weinbreck, and we head over to Ontario, Canada, where parts of the province are already embracing, or maybe I should say enduring, snow to speak with Drew McIver from Can Dairy Inc. about the company's butter. Unfortunately, we're not able to bring you our weekly look at the dairy markets this week with INTLFC Stone. What with scheduling issues, me being on the road, and Liam Fenton, who usually does this segment with us, is also travelling, so it's just become impossible for us to connect our schedules this week. But hopefully we'll be able to bring you that again next week. So first this week, it's over to Friesland Campina in the Netherlands to talk with Fanny Weinbreck, Development Director Kivit, about the company and its innovation. I started by asking for a bit of a clarification, as Friesland Campina does have quite a few divisions. First of all, uh, Kivit is one of the uh, companies that is falling under uh, the business group ingredients within Friesland Campina. So the Frischland Campina uh, ingredient group, and then you have Kibitz as uh, one of the uh, of the operating company working there. Um, Kibitz is actually a B2B organization, so we are providing ingredients for uh, business to business, so for customers that are uh, in the FMCG um, world, and we are very active in the food and beverage segment. So you need to think of uh, of, for instance, application like. Uh, coffee, tea, chocolate drinks, you know, so more, that's more on the, on the beverage part. And in the food part, uh, mostly baked goods, savory, like soups and sauces, and uh, desserts as well. We actually provide value-added ingredients, so we are a global leader in that area. And we really strive and focus on instant solutions, and more specifically on healthier indulgent instant solutions. We are providing dairy and non-dairy ingredients. So this is the type of ingredients we also provide for the applications in, in terms of food and beverage. 
and we have a rather strong purpose around indulgence. So we believe that the moment of feeling good matters for everyone. That, that's, that's our purpose. That means that all those little daily pleasures, you know, like taking your cappuccino when you uh, arrive at work in the morning, of, uh, of having a cup of coffee on the couch in the evening. So these are small things that really matter in, uh, in, in life where you can really enjoy that. And we would like to contribute to that. And uh, we do that by enriching those moments with our healthier indulgent ingredients. So that's basically what Kivit is within the broader uh, Frisland Campina organization. Basically, what we also do in terms of trends, that we analyze quite thoroughly the trends worldwide. We have also uh, rather unique tools to, to, to do so. So we use, for instance, online uh, uh, listening you know, to understand what are the trends around the world uh, from the consumer perspective. And then we see, in terms of trends, we see healthier indulgence very much coming up. So indulgence in terms of creaminess, for instance, but also in terms of healthier, you see quite a lot on sustainability and clean label trends. And uh, plant-based is, is definitely one of them. Um, you have actually the two parts. You have the plant-based trends, but you also have the dairy trends, which is very interesting to see that those two run basically in parallel, and that's why we want to develop products from both trends in our portfolio. So the plant trend is, is quite big in Europe, for instance, while the dairy trend is also quite big in Asia. We have parts of our kivits located in the, the Philippines, in Indonesia, but also in China, also in Europe, obviously. So we also have teams, especially R&D teams now I'm talking about, uh, all around the world, uh, meaning that we can grasp those local trends as well. And this is also one of the trends that we see is what we call the globalization. Some trends are traveling much faster, thanks also to the new technology, but they also are adapted depending on the local preference. One example will be the matcha tea. But you see that it's a trend that started in Japan, but it's now really rolling out throughout the world. And this is something that you can catch up as a, as a global company, but you need to make that link to local preferences. Do you have factories in other countries, or is it you based everything factory-wise in the Netherlands? No, we have uh, different locations, and uh, we have supply chain all around the world. We obviously have uh, sales offices, but also uh, R&D departments on the ground. And we developed uh, concepts like innovation kitchen, and we developed them also on the ground. So we just had open one in, in the Philippines recently, which is adding to, uh, to the one we have in the Netherlands and also to the one we have in China, so that you see that it's actually a place when you can work together with suppliers, with customers, uh, brainstorming and, and making sure that the solutions we bring are also fitting the local needs and, and also the needs of our customers. So we make sure that we have those, those points worldwide where we, can, uh, where we can interact in a best efficient way with uh, suppliers and customers. You mentioned the facility in the Philippines. Obviously not wanting you to give any secrets away, but is that something that you plan on replicating in other countries around the world? Yeah, definitely. I think we see a huge advantage of being like that on the ground and co-creating together with, um, uh, with our customers. Basically, what we really strongly believe in, in terms of, uh, of innovation and how we define that, is to be unique in products, but to be outstanding in experience. 
and by experience, it's, it means also on the final product application. And that you can only create that experience if we collaborate also very strongly uh, together with, uh, with customers and with our suppliers. And this experience are really coming to life in this innovation kitchen. It's a great way to, uh, to be creative, uh, to open the minds, and, uh, you know, and, and to work together on a, on a unique experience. So, um, yes, we recently opened this innovation kitchen. We also have all the places around the world where we believe that this could be, uh, this could be very interesting. We currently are working also quite a lot in, in Shanghai. We also have an innovation kitchen in Shanghai. And obviously, we have a very large center here in Wageningen, uh, in the Netherlands, where we are also working on that. And uh, yeah, we'd like to replicate that uh, around the world, also leveraging the different locations of Frisson Campina worldwide. We also have as Frisson Campina a large network and, uh, and different facilities around the world. So we can you know, build that up together with our uh, other colleagues. You mentioned innovation. How does that work in terms of, is that a collaborative effort with your own customers or is that something that you would develop ideas independently and then try and sell those to companies? Yeah, we have a quite uh, thorough uh, process when it comes to innovation. First of all, we strongly believe that it comes from, from the trend perspective. So if you want to have relevant innovation on the market, the need to meet the consumer needs and thus also our customer needs, um, that's where we started uh, from. So we use, for instance, uh, analysis and landscaping, sensory uh, landscaping and online listening to really understand and grasp the different trends uh, worldwide. And then how we work, we work together with customers quite a lot, but we also identify, thanks to open innovation opportunities, uh, more on the fuzzy front end that will also fit the trend of the future. So we have both aspects because we want to be ready actually before a customer is coming to us with, with a question, would you have that? Yes, of course, because we already identified that trend and we already have a product on the shelf. So that's, that's what, we, uh, what we're aiming for. And the way we deal also with innovation is actually in twofold. We have a two-pillar innovation strategy. One is working on innovation application, what I also uh, just said about the innovation kitchen that is helping us a lot to do that together with our customers. And we also work on what is inside our ingredients, so the technologies and also the specific ingredients that we are developing. So this is more, I would say, the scientific or technological part that we are developing as well. As well as we're talking about products and, and mouthfeel and taste and all of those things that an indulgence that customers or the end consumer wants, but they're also now interested in other intangibles that aren't necessarily related to the food itself, like sustainability, traceability, recycling, packaging. Are you able to get involved in that area with your customers or is that really their responsibility? No, we are. Obviously, taste is number one. I mean, um, I mean, a consumer will always buy a product if it's if it's tasteful. But it's not it's not the only thing anymore. Um, in terms of traceability, sustainability, these are also trends that we see quite a lot, also on the consumer perspective, but of course also from our customer perspective. So the topics that we have, the innovation topics, we can define four innovation topics we're working on. One is about clean label, so also what you're mentioning about traceability, uh, things like that, this is part of it. Uh, one is about sustainability 
and, and then one would be about more the functionality, so really putting the sensorial behavior of your product up front, and that's all about foaming. So we are very keen in foaming and bringing structure to our product. And the last one is about functionality of our product. This can be very relevant for the consumer at the end because it has to be an exciting texture, for instance, but it's also very important for our customer. For instance, the way our powders behave in their own supply chain, this is, this, this is also very important for our customer to have that. So we also develop on, on those. And in terms of, uh, of sustainability, yeah, we know that, that the consumers are very conscious nowadays. And, you know, we, we work, for instance, on our SPO certification for our food ingredients portfolio, all kind of palm-free or uh, sustainable palm oil. These are all very important uh, innovations we're working on in terms of sustainability. It's gone beyond more than simply creating good ingredients then? Yes, much more. Of course, that's the aim because that's what the consumer sees and wants and, and wants to experience and we go for that experience. But with experience, we also believe that we need to be a relevant supplier for our customers and be also relevant in, uh, in the sustainability world and, um, and in the healthier uh, indulgence, as we call, for, uh, for our products. And now we go over to Canada for an interview with Drew McIver from Canberry, which is located in the small community of Clarksburg, Ontario on the recently launched premium butter that's doing very well throughout the province. For, for those that don't know, it's quite remote. I mean, obviously, you own sounds reasonable size and you're fairly close to Barry, and, uh, but the actual place that you are is quite remote. Why, why there? Well, it's actually it's a good question. It, it is remote. However, we're in this sort of this Georgian Bay hub is seeing some rapid tourism growth. Uh, and general just population growth. And, you know, the Muskoka market with, you know, a lot of cottagers in the summer has is, is become somewhat inaccessible due to, due to land pricing. And we're seeing a lot of overflow into the Collingwood, Thornbury, Meaford area. Um, it's, it's an incredible hub for, for agri-food tourism. There's many uh, small cideries and breweries popping up lots of small-scale produce farmers and uh alliston creamery is not too far away from here and that's uh, who co-packs and churns all of our butter so for us you know it's close to our our local community that we grew up in and uh, it's a rapidly growing community that that has a keen focus in supporting agri-food tourism and actually we have plans to, to open up our own processing facility in this area and, and what does your, your company do there, and how long have you been in business? So we established Can Dairy in uh, September of 2017. You know, I've been operating in the dairy space here in Canada for about the last four years. Uh, started with the, the, the goal to bring some innovative butter products to market. Wanted to bring some grass-fed flavored butters to market in Canada. And, and four years ago, there was no grass-fed standard in Canada. So we essentially spent the last few years working with uh, provincial and federal organizations, so Dairy Farmers of Canada, Dairy Farmers of Ontario, did a little bit of work with the Canadian Dairy Commission to help 
you know, progress and, um, and establish a grass-fed standard here in Canada. So we saw an opportunity last summer to really help pioneer, establish, and further develop the grass-fed organic milk segment in Ontario. Um, and we've chosen to, to focus on, uh, on the Jersey niche itself. And so right now we've launched uh, our em- Emerald Grasslands brand of grass-fed organic Jersey butter. Um, we have, we've been working with one partner farm who's our, our flagship producer for the last year. We've been making butter. Um, and then in the past month, we've brought in two new producers who are also grass-fed organic certified Jersey Jersey producers. So it's a small niche in regards to the entire Canadian industry, but, you know, we've gotten a lot of support and uh, the success that we've, we've seen has been, has been great. And your products are solely butter? As of right now, it's solely butter. We have an unsalted grass-fed organic Jersey butter that we barrel churn to 84% butter fat. And we have a sea-salted grass-fed organic Jersey butter, which is also barrel churned to 84% butter fat. And uh, we exclusively source sea salt from Vancouver Island, from a, a small sustainable sea salt harvestry called Vancouver Island Salt Company. And you've added more farms because of increased demand or just to fuel expansion? Uh, both. We, we've had incredible demand. We started selling into food service about a year ago and uh, launched our products into the Canadian retail market at the start of September of this year. So in the past three months, we've you know, landed this product on uh, over 100 shelves across Canada and uh, have a confirmed Whole Foods listing nationally in Canada and uh, also in the past few weeks have had some interest from uh, the UK market and also the US. So we're going to start exploring export opportunities. And, and how would you describe the product? Is it like a premium premium priced? It, it, it is a premiumly priced product. Sort of being the nature of our company being a startup, we don't have the ability to um, tap into some of the scale of economies that larger companies do. So it, it is an expensive product to produce. Um, we pay incremental transport to segregate milk from our partner farms so that it never hits the, the typical pool of milk that's found in Ontario. So it's an expensive product, product to produce and it, it is reflective in the price. However, we've done our best job to uh, make the product land on shelves at a 9.99 retail price, so we feel that's fair. It's not the most expensive butter in, in Canada. And, and is it uh, being used in restaurants and hotels, that kind of thing as well? It is, and that was actually our, our strategy to launch. It was somewhat unplanned, but we didn't have retail packaging in place, but we had butter available. So we actually started by selling the food service and. We now have several menu placements at some of the best restaurants in Ontario. So we've got some really powerful chefs using the product on their menus um, and have captured some pretty powerful testimonials from them as well. And what's the reaction been like? Obviously, you mentioned the testimonials from food service, but what about from the, the public? What's the reaction been like? It's been overwhelmingly positive, Jim. It's been, uh, you know, spending four years trying to get a product of this quality to market. I was pretty confident that the Canadian market would re- receive the product well. 
it, it's been even more positive than that. It, it, we're very fortunate, and there's been uh, a void in Canada of a product of this quality. So we're essentially, you know, that's filling a void that consumers have been, you know, looking and seeking out a product of this quality for years in Canada. And, you know, we're happy that we're, we're finally being able to, to deliver it for them. And you mentioned looking into other places, you, the UK being one of them. How's that? How's that going? It, very, very early in preliminary conversations, and it's interesting because we've actually been approached by groups in those in those regions. So, you know, we we haven't. It's it's early days for us. We're only a few months into market here in Canada, and we didn't feel like it was necessary to necessarily uh, to go out and start seeking out export opportunities, but. You know, it sort of speaks to the to the response to the to the launch in the Canadian market is that we've had groups and, and some pretty powerful groups from you know the U.S. and India and, and the U.K. Um, reaching out to us and asking about opportunities to work with us. So we're we're pretty fortunate in that regard. Not yeah. sure right now if we're actually going to activate any of those opportunities. Um, we'd like to in the future because you know sort of the the larger vision and mission behind can dairy is to support regenerative agriculture practices so we work with farms that you know are, are utilizing intensive grazing strategies and putting soil health land management animal welfare and fair farm labor at the forefront of their farming practices and we really see the opportunity to export as our ability to help tell that story on, on more of a global platform do you have like uh, in terms of reaching out to the public? Do you have marketing and social media? Is that important and for being a relatively small company at this point? It's very important um, to us. We we do run a very lean operation right now. It's my business partner Mitch Yerkew and myself running the company. We're a two-man team. We subcontract all our processing, and you know we've we've got a a website up in place that show some product information and the locations carrying our product. We use Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook to help communicate the value of our product. We will be using those platforms to introduce new products in the future. And it's, I mean, it's an important piece for, for a brand nowadays to, I think, be active on those platforms. And we've been really fortunate that people are talking about this butter and they want to take pictures of, of the packaging and they want to show what they're making with it. So it's been there's been a lot of organic growth through the social media um, of people sharing the, their experience using our butter. And, you know, we do what we can to, to repost and, and continue to, to spread that, um, that usage from our customers. Some, something that you can't really plan for, isn't it? But you, you just, it happens and you take advantage. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's funny. We've, you know, we've had some testimonials like people say, you know, I've had chefs say this is the, the most yellow butter they've seen since working in Ireland. And a friend of mine bought butter at a, a small independent butcher shop in Toronto who commented that, you know, you're, you're buying the, the Cadillac of butters. You know, the response has been great. And we're just we're pretty grateful that for for a country that has multiple brands of butter available, that we're sort of the one that people are willing to, to talk about and share and they want to gift it to their friends and family um, and they want to bring it to dinner parties. And, you know, it, it's, it's become more of almost a, a talking point and a talking feature on, on some dinner tables here, which again, we're, we're, we're just grateful of, you know, we, 
we haven't taken the easy road in, in bringing this product to market. We've chosen a complicated supply structure to segregate our milk from our partner farms. Very encouraging to, to, to see the response from our, our, our Canadian consumers that you know they're receiving the product, willing to pay a, a small premium for it, and uh, you know continue to sort of share and broadcast the voice that you know from the angle that we come from as a brand. And you mentioned new products. Is that how far away is that, and what would those be, or is it too early to say? Uh, we we have some ambitious plans, Jim. To be honest, um, as of right now, we're we're actively developing a uh, a culture mix for a cultured butter, which we plan to culture in a European fashion, and we hope to launch that within Q1 of 2019. You know, but we do have ambitions and plans to get into the to the culture products whether it be some cheeses some yogurts kefirs and even potentially fluid milk if we can uh you know create a strong enough brand and and backfill that with uh, a strong production well that's all we have time for for another week thanks a lot for tuning in and i hope you'll join us again next week when you should be seven chocolates into your advent calendar and when we will be featuring some of the interviews we did this week at HIE. Thanks a lot for listening. See you next week.